I want to tell you the story of Sarah. Open up our, our, our message this morning. Sarah is feeling exhausted. She's feeling lonely. You know, her kids have been kids. It's been apparently COVID-19 uh, time, and, and she's not only mom, but she's the teacher. She's the principal. She's the counselor. She's the custodian, playground attendant. She's everything. Um, and she's a wife, and apparently her husband hasn't said a nice thing to her all week. So she's, she's, like, she's like, you know, so you ever been at that level? You know, one more straw, and, and someone's going to pay. Uh, back is going to be broken, and, and it's just going get, to get nutty. So, so Sarah decides that she's going to turn on the radio listen to a radio preacher this morning, try to lift herself up. And here's what the radio preacher says. Says the answer is to stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others. Just as our Lord thought not of himself, but emptied himself for others, we will find joy in self-sacrifice and in service. So get off the potty, pity pot, repent of your self-absorption and find peace in sharing. Hit that next slide there. Now, of course, Sarah feels at this point chandelier pain. Like she just, she hits the roof. She's not happy at all. She's like, again, <laughs> this pastor, he has no idea what I've been through this week. He has, he has, he doesn't, he doesn't have a clue. Like he sounds like he's a man and men don't know anything. We learned that last week. How can I keep sharing when I have absolutely nothing left to share? And immediately, maybe you've experienced this. You have those thoughts. Someone says, well, you just need to give more. And you're like, I have no more to give. And you go through the roof. Um, and then right afterwards, you feel like this wave of, of guilt and shame, right? And, and, and Sarah felt this. But, and she reasoned, well, this, this was a pastor, right? And he's reading from the Bible. So he must be right. I must be the problem. And every day, every day, every day, sincere, well-intentioned Christians listen to messages like this, given by really, really good, well-intentioned pastors and teachers and Sunday school teachers. Um, the, the, the message basically says, stop thinking about your own needs. It's selfish to have your needs met. And these messages are obviously, they're very sincerely intended to help people obey, but they really aren't messages from the Bible. There's, like, there's a kernel of truth in, in this entire series. There will nearly always be a kernel of truth, but if there's no supporting cast for the rest of God's Word to stand next to that, that, that one incredible piece of truth, well, that piece of truth becomes not true. It becomes a half-truth. And we all know that half-truths are incredibly damaging. They're incredibly dangerous if we don't have the whole picture. And this is what we do a lot of times. We, we pick out that, that sound bite of Scripture, and again, without the supporting staff, the supporting role of everyone else in Scripture and, and all the rest of the passages, it, it doesn't stand well alone, and, and it does more harm than good. In other words, lifted from the context or from the intention of the author, or worse, when separated from the overall message of God, these messages do more harm than they do healing. It sounds true, but it's just not. Now, many folks have bought into this, this idea that we'll own, well, I guess we can call it the, a doctrine of self-annihilation, right? Um, because people will say, well, after all, isn't self-centeredness at the core of our sinfulness? And you would have to say, Yes, that, that, that's absolutely correct. Self-centeredness is at the core of our sinfulness. We all have that same desire to dethrone God and to sit on the throne ourselves of our own lives, right? And again, we can find passages, and we can, we can find passages all morning long about denying ourselves and giving sacrificially to God and others. I mean, you, 
again, we could just spend so much time, or we, we could go to um, what I'm just going to go to, some really good, well-intentioned persons uh, summed up all of these passages, and they put it in this really catchy little cliche. It says this, God first, others second, and self last. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're a little bit more pious than the rest of us. You have God first, others second, church third, and self last. Or, or maybe, maybe you've even gone to the point of God first, others second, church third, and family fourth, and self last. And, and this can continue. This can continue all, all morning long. But what you'll notice, the common denominator is self is always last, like self is bad. Like we can take care of everybody else in the world, but we can't take care of ourselves because then we're being narcissistic or, you know, self-absorbed, you know, all, all these other ideas. And again, we temporarily ignore all of the, the, all of the scriptures and, and passages that need to be read alongside some of these denying passages and, and sacrificial passages um, or else we wrongly conclude that the Christian life is all about hating ourselves and denying our own needs. And this is what a lot of people believe. They believe this idea that the Christian life is all about hating ourselves and denying our own needs. But it's, it's not. Now, the problem, the problem kind of where we're going to start this morning is we confuse selfishness and stewardship. And it's not like selfishness is the opposite of stewardship, but there are words that in, in, in the Christian life we unintentionally change them in and out and use them uh, at the, for the same purpose, but they're not. They're very, very different words. Um, you know, on, on one side, you have God-given responsibility to meet your own needs, right, to take care of yourself. Um, and then over on the other side is selfishness. So there's a big difference, and there's a big distance between self-care, right, self-care and selfishness or self-centeredness, self-absorbed, self-important or self indulgent. It's like asking, you know, it's, it's like being at the filling station and somebody is filling up your gas tank or you're filling up your gas tank and somebody rolls by and, and they, they, they start yelling at you, right? Why aren't you filling up my gas tank? How selfish. You're such a selfish jerk that you're filling up your own gas tank. I need gas. I need gas in my tank. You selfish, selfish person. And we would all look at that example and say, that's just ridiculous. But that's in fact what we do when we buy into this, this silly assumption um, that it's wrong to have our needs met. So, this is basically what the, the radio preacher told Sarah. You're, you're a selfish person. Um, but we all know that if you don't fill up your own tank, you're not going to get very far. You're going to run out of gas. Um, so let's discuss this idea of being complete and being incomplete because we are simultaneously complete and incomplete. That's just simply the way we were made, and God has a great reason for this. We're going to take a look at that. So number one, we are actually functionally very complete. Right? We have self-organization, which simply means um, when I go to bed at night, I continue to grow to be a human being. All right? I don't have to think about it. Right? it, it just, I self-become. The flowers outside, they don't think about, they don't have to think about you know, growing. They, just, they, they become flowers. They don't become dogs. They become flowers. It's, that's that's self-organization. We also, God's given us agency. We have the ability to make decisions. We have the ability to say yes and no, to walk or to talk or to run. Um, and finally, the biggest level kind of overarching idea is we've been given freedom or free will. Um, we can decide to walk or, or, or run or fly to Florida or New York. No rhyme or reason, just because we wanted to. We, we have this freedom. Um, so we are, we are functionally complete, right? And this means, kind of the, the gist of all this, is, is that we were created response-able, 
We were, we were created able to respond wisely or poorly, right? We, he gave us responsibility because he made us response-able. I um, kind of love the way those two words work so well together. Um, and again, the way this plays out in our lives is, is actually our witness and our testimony to our neighbors. This is what happens in your life when you obey God. And you don't want to say this, but yeah, your life, that's what happens when you don't obey God. That's a mean way to go about it, but kind of getting the idea here. Of course, there are other factors in life. There's random events. There's the evil intention of other people. There's the foolish actions or unintended actions, consequences of other people's actions. There's genuine evil in the world. But essentially, we are responsible to take care of ourselves. He gave us that ability to take care of ourselves. But at the very same time, so on one hand, we're functionally complete, but on the other hand, and this is completely within his purposes, I believe, we're relationally incomplete, we're relationally incomplete. And in fact, our, our whole entire earth is created this way. The, the, everything on this earth is dependent on something else, right? Without, without the sun, without soil, water, every, everything dies. Um, without each other, we die. At the very opening of, of Scripture, it says that it wasn't good for man to be alone. He needed somebody with him because a dude by himself is just a disaster. We, all, we, all, we, we know this, right? So God built dependency into the very, very fabric of our world, um, and he intended us to be incomplete in and of ourselves. Uh, just let me, let me add on to that. We need God, and we need each other. Now, here's something that you might not have thought about before. Um, God, and I, I'm going to say this, I don't know... If God needs relationship, or I'll just say God has relationship. He has what we need, right? God has relationship. Yes, he's mighty, he's powerful, but he's, he's a relational being, right? He's not a human being, but he is a relational being. Um, he self-reveals this in Scripture as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is the way he has revealed himself in, as three in one. It's not that we've created this doctrine ourselves. It's, 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 this is God self-revealing um, himself. And from this triune relationship, God experiences perfect and complete love and relational connectedness within the triune, the, the, the trinity, the triune God. The biggest clue we have for God's relational character is when John describes his nature as love. This is in John uh, chapter 1. This is 1 John chapter 4. Verse 8, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And again in verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. So love, it's not an abstract word, right? A lover has to have an object to love. You don't love... Um, you don't love immaterially. You don't love things that, that, that aren't solid. Um, love points to relationship. Now, again, to be very, very clear, God certainly doesn't need our love. He loves to bestow love on us, um, but he doesn't need that relational love from us because of his triune nature, right? He gets all the love that he could ever need uh, within his nature, his very nature. Um, God is never in isolation, God is always attached. And that, that, that should say something to us when we think, hey, I can be unattached. I can be, you know, I can be self-sufficient. I, I don't need people. That's just on the face of it. it. It doesn't match up with the person whose image we are created in. In fact, Jesus demonstrates all of this, this, this relational love that's, that's, that's a part of his actual personhood. Um, in his life, right? He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He, he used that term, Abba, Father, which is a, a, 
a very a term of endearment that, that you that you shared with only your your father your your earthly father um daddy i guess is the closest that we can come to it this this man god relationship this man god person actually needed relationship and companion this is in mark chapter 14 verse 34 this is this is jesus christ god the son okay who spent much time seeking out lonely places to be with his father then he says this, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them, because he brought three of his disciples along with him. Stay here and keep watch. And what I see in this passage is that God needed more than just a heavenly father. He needs more than God. He needs his earthly friends. He needs the people around him. And this is incredibly important to understand his relational character because we are made in his image. And because we're made in his image, we're created with that same need or that same desire to reach outside of ourselves. We, we are not within ourselves self-sufficient. We're not God. We're the created, not the creator. And everything in creation, as we're seeing, is interdependent, needs each other. All creation needs, if you can say, each, each other. So if Jesus asks for earthly friends for help, which he's clearly doing right now, he's telling them, not telling God to stay and keep watch. He's telling his buddies to stay and keep watch. I mean, if Jesus needs healthy, earthly help, then I think we do too. I think it's okay, and I think it's actually good that we seek help outside of ourselves. Um, and actually, I think that we were created with the need to need Right? We need to be able to respond to God and others. And we, we, I think we wrongly fight this impulse, this, this need to reach out for help from other people. Right? A few names for this, I, I, a couple different places. The me and God syndrome. That's the first one I came across, the one that actually came to my mind. I've heard it many, many times. Uh, there's an old story, a uh, uh, guy's a horrible storm in his community. He's up on his rooftop, and he's praying, and he felt like he had heard an answer from God. Hey, I got you. Don't worry about it. So long comes a canoe and says, hey, you know, hop into the canoe. I'll save you. says, oh, nope, nope, God's got me covered. So the canoe goes on. Pretty soon a rowboat comes up. Hey, hop in. We'll row you to safety. Nope, nope, God, I got a promise from God that he's going to save me. Pretty soon a motorboat comes by, same thing, a helicopter comes by, hey, don't worry about it, God's got me covered, and lo and behold, the guy drowns and dies, and he meets God and says, where were you? He says, the canoeer, the rowboat, the motorboat, my buddy, the helicopter pilot, man, I was sending you help all morning long, and you ignored all of it. It's like, but I wanted you to help me. It's not the way God works. He uses us as his hands and feet. And that's an amazing thing. That's a, that's a thing of, to embrace and to honor and to like, whoa, that, that's, that's so cool that, that he, he loves us that much that he would equip us to love each other the way he would like to see it done. So obviously we have the ability, right? That's, uh, that's just amazing. And this whole me and God syndrome, it's really kind of a distorted teaching um, you know, if I have God, I don't need people. Um, and that's probably coming from, there's a doctrine called the sufficiency of Christ. Um, and it's really the doctrine of um, by his blood we're saved, not by our works, not by anything else. And that is only what it's meant to mean, the sufficiency of Christ. But we take that sufficiency of Christ and we kind of add to it. Like, and we, we buy into this idea that, well, in passages like this, this is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, 
And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power, every authority. Or we read passages like this in Philippians chapter 4. It says this, I can do all this, all the things that God had been calling Paul to do. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What we don't realize is that not only does Christ give us strength, but he also gives us common sense. He gives us wisdom. He gives us friends. He gives us neighbors. He gives us the Bible. He gives us the church. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. The sufficiency of Christ is we tend to ignore all the things that Christ has for us to give that's a part of his. Well, check this out. This is in verse 19. It kind of continues. And my God will meet all your needs, what? According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It's not just Christ alone. I know we sing that song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone, again, talking about just our salvation. But then we draw it into this other area like um, the only person that's allowed to help me is Jesus. Until he shows up, none of you, I don't want to hear from you. I don't need any of you. Just me and God, me and God, nobody else, nobody else, right? Just kind of crazy. And, And what are his riches according to his glory? Well, it's things like a car to get to work. That's one of his riches according to his glory, right? How how about a neighbor who does your yard work because you're having surgery and you can't get out there and do your yard work and they show up with their lawnmower and they they mow your lawn? That's that's happened to me. And it was, it blew my mind. It it just did. It just blew my mind that a neighbor would come over and, and do that. I hadn't had that experience. Or maybe telling your kids that you love them or holding the dying friend's hand. Right? God needs us. We desperately need each other. Um, These are the types of things that are the riches of his glory. The fact is, you can't teach this whole me and God, like Jesus only, God only kind of thing, um, because if you did, you would actually be incredibly irresponsible and just mean, just horribly mean. I mean, consider you as a parent, your baby's crying in the crib, and you come and you say, be comforted by God, and you walk away because you bought into this idea that only God can comfort, and it's selfish to have our needs met. You selfish baby, stop crying. <laughs> That's what we want to say sometimes. Stop it, just stop it. That's what we want to say to some of the people in our church. Just stop it, stop it. That was mean. Um, it's incredibly irresponsible, right? Or maybe a spouse who needs you to say that you love her or love him, and, 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 you, and then you go and tell them, hey, you, you have Jesus. What more can I add to that? Right? You don't need me to say I love you. you. You have Jesus, Jesus Christ alone. He's sufficient, isn't he? Right? Then your wife's kind of stuck saying, <laughs> well, we won't go there either. Um, so not only is it irresponsible, but it's straight up sinful, Right? If God is the only one that's supposed to help, and if I help, then my offer to help is enticing them to seek help from people other than God, right? So I'm leading them to sin. If you really buy into this idea that people can only seek help from God, if you go and help people, you're, you're not helping them at all. Now, there's another way around all this, right? You can do the whole guru thing. Stay away from people and there won't be a problem, right? Just point people to God and and don't mess with people. No people, no problem. Um, But again, James, he shuts this arrangement completely out of the argument. He writes this in the second chapter of his letter at the end of your New Testament. He says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes or daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace and keep warm and well-fed, but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is that, Right? So again, to any of you out there who might have bought into this idea, so if you agree and consider it your Christian duty to help those in need, right, premise A, 
But you also consider it selfish to have your own needs met. Then providing food and clothing, like in a passage like this, is you're actually doing harm to those people in need. Because if you're not allowed to have your needs met because they're selfish, well, then their needs are selfish too. And you're just enabling them. So stop helping them. Right? It makes no sense. It makes zero sense, this whole God and me only. I don't need any people. I just, 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 just God. So if you ask for help from other people, here's some of the silly answers you're going to receive. So you just kind of prepare yourself. People will say you lack faith. You're too proud. Right? You have a limited view of God. You're trusting humans instead of the Savior. You're dabbling in secular humanism. Go look that one up. You are in sin. And here's your response, why you should not only embrace, why we should not only embrace our needs, um, but also just as important is why we should allow other people to help us meet those needs. Just a couple reasons here. First reason is our design, our needs are designed to drive us, drive us to growth, right? They're supposed to be there. Our inability, maybe your inability, somebody's inability to make your marriage work would drive that couple to a marriage council where they would get better. They would grow in their relational ability to love each other and be a happily married couple raising up kids in this world, right? Their needs, right, drove them to grow in an area that they didn't have figured out, right? Our needs to run around with our grandkids, they drive us to our doctors, right? Check our blood pressure, <laughs> Ask the doctor, why does it feel like my heart's about to jump out of my chest? Well, you're not very healthy. <laughs> you, need, you need some physical growth. You, you need um, exercise. Um, not necessarily growth. <laughs> you need exercise. Our inability to forgive drives us to recognize our own, our own sins. The fact of the matter is our needs are like signposts, right? That are, they're, they're symptoms that something else is wrong, if it's depression, if it's spending habits, if it's alcoholism, if it's, if it's anything, just a whole range of things, those, those needs are being met. We're, we're having to meet those, have those needs met in areas that are destroying us. But the fact is we have these needs, and there's a biblical way of, dressing, of addressing these needs. So there are some, again, people who feel like they are above needs, I don't know if this is your category, if you've rejected the need or if you bought into this crazy assumption that you don't need to have your needs met. Um, Jesus addressed a crowd of Pharisees because, well, they were confident of their own righteousness and they looked down on everybody else. So Jesus told this parable. This is in Luke chapter 18, verse 10. It says this. Two men were, uh, went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one the other was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people who have so many needs, right? They must be weak. Robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like that tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He continues, verse 13, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance Right, you get the idea that the Pharisee went right up front and center that everybody could see him, everybody watching, all right, see how pious I am. Tax collector, he's in the back of the room, man, trying not to be seen, trying, just kind of huddling. You see him, don't, don't look at me. Just, just. He stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, the fact of the matter is, unless we recognize our needs, we will stagnate. We will grow incredibly unhealthy, 
right? You won't even, you won't even go see a doctor because you refuse to see your needs. I think this is the power of uh, the 12-step program. I, I mean, you start every meeting. You have to say, I have a need. I am an alcoholic. I, I sometimes wonder if church, if we should be rolling in here and just saying, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I, 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 I don't know. Maybe that's not going to fly. Our needs then are kind of places in a position to have to ask for help. Jesus finishes, I tell you that that man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Love that word humble leads us to the second thing our needs are designed to do. These are, these, he, he didn't make us complete so that we would, I think, love each other. If we were made completely complete, I, just, I think we would be little islands with only one person on each island because I don't need anybody else, right? So drive us to humility. As long as we think we're better than most people, we will rarely admit our needs and ask for help. And, and so we begin to distance ourselves from people. In fact, most marriage counselors will tell usually, not always, um, but this will be a problem of one of the two, is that they have learned to be self-sufficient. They've learned to be completely independent. Um, and, and as, again, guys, we are kind of, I don't know if this is just American culture. I don't know if this is guy culture all around the world, but we're, I feel like we are trained and brought up not to express needs because that's a weakness and we need to be strong and, you know, all, all of that kind of silly stuff. And, um, again, every marriage counselor, yeah, we, we kind of got to work with the guys to admit that he has needs. <laughs> the women have no problem with this, but guys, we just something, something about us. I, I, and, again, this is just generally speaking, generalization just a little bit. The fact of the matter is sometimes, sometimes in... Again, in our American culture, we have such a drive to be self-sufficient, to be resourceful, to be responsible, right, because that's the way we were made, um, that actually that makes us look just a little bit distant, a little bit arrogant, um, self-important almost, like, I don't need you, I don't need anybody. And to the person who does have needs, how big do they feel right now? Eh, about this big. And they're not going to want to hang around you because you make them feel even smaller because you seem to have it all together. Not sure I'm buying that. Not sure your family's buying that. Sometimes we do need to just actually cultivate relational dependence. This is from Proverbs, a couple of great passages. This is both from chapter 3. One from chapter 3, one from chapter 29. He mocks proud mockers. I love that. But shows favor to the humble and oppressed. And then chapter 29. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Humble people, don't, uh, humble people know they can't do it all themselves, so they don't even bother. I had a good friend of mine, former pastor. Well, he's still a pastor. He says, Jerry's a good pastor because he doesn't know how to do anything. <laughs> I've learned to ask people to do a lot, and somehow I've gotten a rotten reputation. Uh, anyway, um, finally, our needs are designed to draw us closer to God. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus confronts a, couple, a group of people who apparently have no desire to draw any closer to God. 
Um, they've just asked, they're, they're, the, the Pharisees have shown up, and Jesus has just met Matthew, who's a tax collector, who is now writing the Gospel of Matthew, which is kind of his autobiography, I guess. And he's actually, I mean, you can see him writing about the house party that he threw, right? And the Pharisees showed up, and they started bagging on my friends, you know, Matthew speaking. Um, and, and they're asking, the, the Pharisees show up, well, why are all these people, why is Jesus eating with all of you tax you sinners, just incredibly insulting thing to say. I mean, you know, what are, what are they going to respond? Apparently, he said it very loudly because Jesus heard him, or them. There was a group of them. And on hearing this, this is in chapter 9, verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, the, the Pharisees had denied that they had any additional righteousness needs, right? They're like a lot of us. I, I don't have any needs, I'm good to go. I'm, man, I'm, I, I have no needs. See, because they were self-righteous. And they were self-righteous because they were the ones that defined righteousness, right? They're the ones that came up with all those additional laws, the scribal laws, like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them to the point where if you were an everyday Joe who had to go to work every day, you could not even come close to following all of those responsibility, or excuse me, all those righteousness laws. So therefore, you always felt unrighteous, and this just ticked Jesus off. It made him madder than almost anything else because what this was doing, these Pharisees, these rule makers were making so many ridiculous rules that the people who needed God, who had needs, who would admit that they have needs, they couldn't even get to see the doctor because they knew they weren't righteous. The Pharisees were saying, oh, you're not righteous enough. You can't go to temple because only righteous people go to temple. So Jesus, I mean, he's just, he, he's going nuts. So he responds. I mean, this, this is what's going on. He, he responds to this. He says, sorry then, I basically I can't help you. If you don't see a need for me and my righteousness. In fact, he says this. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. In other words, I can't help those whose righteousness lies in outward appearance and ritual. I, I can't help those people, but I can help those who need mercy, who know that they're sinners and they need a doctor. Man, I'm, I'm there for them, 100%. I'm, I'm all in with them. Because if we don't see our needs, and this is the one that's going to hurt, if we don't see our needs, then Scripture actually tells us that we will rarely see God. Matthew writes this a couple of chapters back. This is in chapter 5. You've heard this. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. They're blessed because they're in a position to be filled. They're blessed because they're in a position to be comforted, to admit that they need comfort. They're blessed because they admit they need help and they want help. So God blesses them. He helps them. People with nothing to fix tend to not have much to say to God. Again, I'm just, that's a, not, a, not a blanket statement. Again, sometimes we get to that point where, our, honestly, our lives are, we're content. We've actually reached that place that Paul reached where he says in, in, in hunger and in, 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 in thirst and in all situations, I, I, I'm content. 
And maybe you're at that point where you're, you're like, you're, you're, you're content um, and you don't have needs and you spend a lot of your prayer time just praising God for all his, I mean, that's a wonderful place to be, an incredible, incredible place to be. All we're saying this morning is, is if and when you do need help, sometimes it's just you're alone. Um, and, and that's God's way of saying, hey, pick up the phone, reach out to somebody. They, they could be being, feeling very, very lonely right now and I've comforted you and you know what? I'd like you to comfort them now. So what happens if we don't seek the help from other people? Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 and 18, this is what happens. It says, likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. And this is the kicker. A good tree, can, a good tree cannot bear good, bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Bad fruit isn't the problem. It's the tree. The fruit is simply the symptom, right? The depression, the, the anxieties, um, the need, all these needs, they're all symptoms of something much, much deeper. The fact that we have needs and they need to be met, and they will be met by God and all of his riches and glory. Um, that was the plan. The problem is that unhealthy trees cannot produce good fruit. It is literally impossible. If you're not healthy, you cannot help other people. And if you try to help other people, it will more than likely do more damage to you and probably not help the other person a whole lot. They're going to be watching you and thinking, I don't think I want your medicine. You're the saddest person I've ever met, <laughs> right? And if, we're, and if we're a bad tree and we can't produce good fruit, then that makes our, the whole problem even worse. It makes it systemic. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, those two words, who comforts us in all of our troubles, and this is a big part of it. He comforts us because we need it, right? It's not just to work around us. Um, he wants to comfort us, but then he wants us also to comfort other people. Verse 4, it concludes, So that we can comfort those in any trouble, with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. So just kind of closing, we honor God, we honor others when we seek help from others. And I know we've come back to this several times now, and I, it just keeps coming back. Um, in isolation, we get sick. And in community, we find health. So again, if you bought into this crazy lie that you don't need God, or excuse me, you don't need anybody else, you just need God, you and God only, you got it all figured out, I think you're disobeying Scripture. I think you're obeying the breadth of Scripture, the scope of Scripture. Uh, we were created with needs. And somehow he created us with the ability to meet each other's needs. Just, just God is amazing. So I want to encourage us to, to lean into that, those facts, those biblical facts, that, that, that whole picture. Yes, Christ is sufficient. We have to seek him for salvation. But once that happens, he wants to heal us. He doesn't just leave us at that point, And he wants to heal us so that we can go out and continue that healing and to continue that wholeness. So let me close. Father, help us to embrace the people around us, whether they're needy, or we know that they could meet a need of ours. 
Father, you call us to embrace each other, not only to, like Doug said, love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, but you said likewise, likewise we're to love our neighbors as ourselves with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's, it's, it's not a one-off thing. It's not, okay, I did my good deed for the day. The fact of the matter is, Father, you make this so clear. When we are meeting each other's needs, we're in your presence. We're in the presence of love. What better place to be? Father, thank you for making it so clear. Uh, help us to dig always deep into your word, Father. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Dan.